All right, sound is speeding. We are recording. Cool. All right, let's begin. Either they don't know, don't show, I don't care about what's going on in the hood. everybody welcome back to adventures in black cinema my name is desmond thorne i will be your host and your film aficionado for the day and as always i am here to give you your passport to black film today's episode is called adventures in jokes and jail time and i'm so excited to talk about the film life We've talked about it a couple times in the podcast very briefly in the past, and now we are finally going to get into the nitty-gritty of this movie. As y'all know, one of the many jobs that I do is programming films at NewFest, New York's LGBTQ Film Festival, which is where I met this week's guest on the show. I have Mr. Sheldon D. Brown with me, actor extraordinaire. He was the he is the co-star and the co-writer of one of our most successful films at the film festival this year called Cicada. Welcome, Sheldon. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me, Desmond. <laughs> Absolutely. Super Peace and love, everybody. Yes. So tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what you do and like what your journey has been to this place. Yeah. So I am first a storyteller, I'm an actor. Um, I have done mostly stage work and have the wonderful opportunity to do my first film two years ago with Matthew Pfeiffer working on Cicada. I hate fireworks. The sound of freedom? Who's freedom? They're not fireworks, they're sparklers. How do I hold it? You gotta bend over. (laughs) Oh, you got a dud. You're a dad. You're a dad. Look at this. You're a dad. You're a dad. You're a dad. Ha! You're a dad. Um, Which not only drew on my acting, but also drew on my writing as well. Um, And so got my first foray into screenwriting. And I'm also uh, a singer. And I also am a teaching artist. I teach uh, middle school and high schoolers um, through theater programs in Chicago. Ah, that's so dope. What kind of theater education do you provide in like a middle school, high school setting? Like what's the what's the vibe like? Yeah. So we have two things. I work with uh, Steppenwolf Theater Company. Oh, and dope. The, yeah. So what we do, we do an ext- um, uh, aesthetic education workshop in which students typically would go see a uh, theater for young audience show at Steppenwolf. That, nice. And then we would do workshops to get them to think deeply about the the show through art making and exploring themes that relate to the world that we're living in. Um, and so this year it was a radio play because we can't be in public, right? right. right? <laughs> so we did Animal Farm um, and lots of things wow. talked about with Animal Farm and how it relates to our current world. Yeah. And uh, with Northlight, we do kind of a community engagement, community building workshop in which we do 10 classes 
and we get the students to either pick uh, something in their community that they want to uplift and celebrate yeah. or something they want to build or improve and we explore this through art making so they create their own we're creating our own virtual show that explores some of the issues they want to focus on that's amazing and for those who are listening and don't know about the steppenwolf theater as well the steppenwolf is like the theater in chicago like so many actors that you know of that come up through theater like came from yeah. the steppenwolf theater so many shows from broadway have been there so it's like it's a very big deal and i love to see that you know first of all that someone black is involved <laughs> with the theater and also that there that's is real. a really good education program happening through such a prolific theater that's really dope um yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of it's a lot of fun and it's a great work that we do is there any other i mean this is such a time it's so always strange at this point to ask like you know what are you working on next in terms of like theater or film but is there anything that's in the horizon kind of like looking beyond covid or even something that's happening during you know for me it is mostly getting myself and my life together during this this time amen you know i know we always want to be we always want to be thinking about what's the next gig what's the next work and you know especially in our in the industry the theater industry you know film we don't know what's going to happen so we have no clue no clue so my job right now which i'm really excited about is just trying to announce a whole new era for my for my life my career and yes. really focusing on honing in and taking leaps you know so yes. i'm planning on I'm just trying to enter the next chapter of my life and and feel very confident in that position. Oh, that's you know? amazing. I love that. I love that. See, I feel like the real people, or at least the people who are like in tune, if you will, are really taking this time to be like, oh, wait, okay, now I have time to really be present and really figure things out in the now so that everything will be better. You know what I mean? Right. It's like... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's really it's really useless to try to plan ahead if you're not. You know, it's like the Lord. And like, how are you going to win when you're not right with them? Yes! You know? How are right. you going to win when you ain't right with them? How are you going to win knew. when you... She knew. She knew. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> and accurate. That's like, you know, that is like an eternal mantra. You know, like, that is... Like, I can't even think about what my next step is if I'm not even ready Totally. You know, to totally. be in that step, you know, to sit in that position. So absolutely. Yeah. Amen. Well, since you are a guest on Adventures in Black Cinema, <laughs> there is something that all the guests get to do on this show, and it's a play game that I like to call Who's Invited? This is a tasty burger. So if it is your first time listening to Adventures in Black Cinema or you have not listened to an episode and where I have a guest 
Who's Invited is a game that I play with all my guests. It is a game in which I run down a list of black films directed by white people over the course of a minute. So it's a very quick game. So try to think as quickly as possible and go off the dome in terms of these movies. And uh, it is up to my guests to decide if these films get invited to the cookout or not. And this is, you know... Basically asking, you know, are these films truly within the hearts of black people? Like, do they, are they really like ours? Do we truly claim these movies? And we don't play this game to give white people a pat on the back for doing the bare minimum of making a movie with black people in it. We do this so that we can think critically when we see films in theaters that are directed by white people and, you know, film pretty much everywhere, even like television series. Like, I will let you know right now, the miniseries Roots was directed three quarters by white people. So there's an example right there. So, you know, it's very interesting to kind of dig into these and kind of, you know, figure it out. And uh, the way that you respond, if you do think a film is invited to the cookout, you say, yes, sir. If you don't, your response is, by Felicia. You shall not pass with anything. If you haven't seen a movie, you just have to kind of go on your gut. Um, so let's do a little, let's do a little practice round. I have three little practice examples for you before we get into the actual factual. Okay. Uh, first example, The Nutty Professor. Yes, sir. <laughs> awesome. Uh, second example, Dream Girls. Yes, sir. Yes. Awesome. And the last example before the official Tishel, Hotel Rwanda. Oh, yes, sir. Ah, word, word. Interesting. I would actually, if I could go back, I would probably say no to The Nutty Professor. I just have not seen that movie in so long. So <laughs> yes. I don't know if it aged well. No, totally. <laughs> probably not. It'd be different to approach <laughs> that movie with like a more critical thinking lens. I think... Like, when that movie came out, we were just all so hype, you know? Yeah. Black comedy's out. Let's go see it. You know, we see Eddie Murphy playing all these, you know, characters and shit. We were just hyped for the movie. Jada, you know? Yeah. And the, the I remember there was, like, a uh, American Idol person that did the Hercules, Hercules, oh, Hercules. Yes, yes. Every time he would make it to the next round. Yeah. And I was like, oh, look at what was started from this movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. I think we can all agree that the second one does not get invited to the cookout. Uh, no. Light Professor 2, not. The Clumps does not. But that song that uh, Janet Jackson did for it was great. Great song. Great song. <laughs> all right. So let's get into the official round. I'm going to put okay. my timer on for this one oh, minute. And all right. Let's begin. Blade. Yes, sir. Glory. Mm, bye, Felicia. <laughs> Ma. <laughs> bye, Felicia. <laughs> Sounder. <laughs> yes, sir. Above the rim. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, sir. Question mark. Uh, booty call. Yes, sir. <laughs> Paris is burning. Yes, sir. Uh, what's love got to do with it? Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, Carmen Jones. Bye, Felicia. Big Mama's house. 
Yes, sir. <laughs> In the heat of the I night. all of them. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. Uh, and the last one, a raisin in the sun. Yes, sir. Word, word, word. And that is because of the material. Yes. The material, the performance. Yes. I will forgive. I will forgive. You know, when you don't know a black, uh, a white person is behind it because like, you know, the help is like, you know, we, we pan the help. But I also have to give credit that. Viola Davis and Octavia Spencer were acting their faces they were great. off in that movie. They were so great, yeah. They were incredible. Absolutely, you know? and, and it made like, their careers bigger. It got them yeah, more work. I mean, yeah, yeah. for a project like that, to get them more work is something to be dug into. But that being said, yes. now like Ma, we're getting Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. We're getting Fences. Right. Like, you know, right. like... This is, you're right. You're very right about that. I uh, had a couple guests on a few episodes ago and then talking about the help, they were like, bye Felicia to the, to the movie, but yeser to like Octavia and the pie scene. Yeah. And like, there are aspects yeah. of that movie. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. There's a lot of nuance to this game. And um, this is a really... Interesting side note, because I know that you're a theater person. Have you seen the uh, made-for-TV remake of uh, Raisin in the Sun with P. Diddy and Felicia Rashad? I did. Felicia? Oh, man. Okay, and you know, just... Sorry, 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 P. Diddy. Sorry, Sean. Yeah, no. Uh, (laughs) the, The type of gift and talent you have to have to work in those circumstances where yes. like she was carrying yes hefty scenes yes and so, and Sanai Lathan Sanai well. is so good so good so good yes yes I yes. love her she is so underrated in the Love and Basketball episode we were talking about like yes. why why does she not have the same career as like a Julia Roberts like why <laughs> I, I honestly her and Kimberly Elise were yes two, two actresses that I'm like I have, I, I have, it's a shame because you are both really, really amazing. Yes. Um, and I've seen a ton of white actors who, you know, don't or hold the candle. British actors right. who infiltrate. And, yes, which happens know. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I love them both. <laughs> Speaking of Sanaa Lathan, let's get into the nitty gritty of life. You are here for one. Yes. So, Life was released in 1999. It was directed by Ted Demi, who is a white person. And uh, a little summary of the film, if you don't know about the movie, if you haven't seen it, audience members out there, Life tells the story of two men named Ray, played by Eddie Murphy, and Claude, played by Martin Lawrence, who get framed for murder by a white cop, of course, in Mississippi in 1932 and get sentenced to life in prison. The film follows them from the 1930s up to the 1990s and captures their experience as they serve this unjust sentence. Now, I'm about to get into the other people who were in this movie. I hope you're ready for this long list of motherfuckers. Okay, so this film also stars Bernie Mac, 
who is fucking excellent in this movie. I miss him <sighs> so much. Gosh. He is so... Yes. Jankaleg is... Jankaleg, Jankaleg, Jankaleg. Jankaleg, Jankaleg. I appreciate it. Jankaleg? Jankaleg, Jankaleg. Claw. Claw. Yeah, claw. <laughs> So good. So good. So, so good. Uh, we have Abba Babatunde in this movie. We have Anthony Anderson in this movie. We have Miguel Nunez in this movie. We have Brent Jennings. We have Barry Shabaka Henley. We have Bukim Woodbine, who, if you don't like, if you don't love Bukim Woodbine, I don't know what's wrong with you. I can't help you. I just can't help you. Can't be saved. You can't be saved. You can't be saved. Uh, also, Rick James is in this movie. Clarence Walker the <laughs> Third, who we talked about in the Tales from the Hood episode, is in this movie. He is the one that gets murdered. Yeah. Uh, we also have Heavy D in this movie. And we have yeah. Sanaa Lathan. This cast is fucking stacked. Literally everybody and their mama was in this movie. <laughs> yes, they were like, come through. Come through. Oh, we have a role for you. Like, come through. Like, there's so many roles yeah. open. Like, we got you. It's <laughs> right. so good. If you don't have it, we'll just write it in. Exactly, exactly. And it feels like, um, you know, with these two comedy giants really at the helm of it, it does feel like they got a lot of their homies to be involved with the movie. Which brings me to uh, the first fun fact about this film is that this is Anthony Anderson's film debut. Uh, I actually forgot that he was in this movie until I watched it again recently. And um, it's so funny to see him because this is around the time where he started to like be in stuff, you know? Yeah. It's like around his rise. And like, it's so interesting to see where he is now like you know blackish did so much for his career like he yeah yeah (laughs) it really propelled him forward in a way that many comedians when they're on sitcoms it doesn't happen like that it happens right it happens like you know i think of a show like my wife and kids uh damon wayne's i think of a show like that that was like popular and everything but it didn't have the same kind of like uh societal longevity that I think Blackish has, I think it's really, really brought him forward in a very interesting way. Yeah, I mean, you know, Blackish, kind of, it's, it's just the timing, you mm-hmm. know, the, the show came out of the Obama years, you know, towards the end of the Obama yes, years. it sure did. And, you know, there, I think that there's a, there's an infatuation with that family and what they represent. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. That's real. And that's another one which is like, oh, homie, I see you over there trying to make it. Come through. Be in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Second fun fact about this movie is that Rick Baker did the makeup for this film. And Rick Baker is a makeup legend. Rick Baker did the makeup and prosthetics <clears throat> for the Thriller music video. And he has worked with uh, Eddie Murphy many, 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 many times. Uh, including The Nutty Professor, Norbit, Coming to America. So 
it's interesting that in this movie that they work together, but they work together with Eddie only playing one character. Usually, Rick's makeup is used for Eddie to become different characters, but in this film, it is used to age him and Martin Lawrence, who also has dabbled in uh, prosthetics and some of his work, you know, thinking about, like, Big Mama's house and stuff like that. And also, I mean, there's no prosthetics in the show Martin, but there is a lot of, like, hair and makeup adjustments and things like that. So it's interesting that the two of them really have loved playing with that throughout their careers and they come together to do this movie and they find a way to play with it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. And um, he was nominated for an Oscar for this. This is the Oscar nomination that this film got was for Best Makeup. Um, Last fun fact for this movie, and this is something that I think you will love also being on a film set, is that In the whites-only pie scene, originally, it was written that Eddie Murphy's character was the one who was upset and Martin Lawrence wanted to leave. But when they were filming, the scene wasn't working. So they switched lines so that it was Martin who was the one who was upset and Eddie Murphy wanted to leave. And that's the version that ended up in the film. And I love that because, like, that just shows the kind of... The kind of magic that can happen on a film set, you know, you can read a scene at a table all day, and sometimes when it gets there on the day, you're just like, mm, something's not quite right. right. Like, what is it? Right. And having people who are adept to changing things on the dime, like comedic actors can be, the fact that they really adapted that and also just like fully took that on. And how much better it works for their characters is like amazing. Yeah, like that is so that that makes so much more sense for their characters and the other way around. Absolutely. But that's just the collaborative nature of of them, of the two of them on this film. It's exactly. Like, they yeah, it's it's incredible. Exactly. And you can really feel that all throughout the collaborative nature of this movie because like it would have been and we'll get to talking more in depth about Martin and Eddie in this movie, but I think it would have been really easy for Um, them to kind of decide, well, I'll be the lead and you'll kind of be like the, the, the second lead under, but I think they share that co-lead so perfectly, so perfectly. It doesn't feel very ego driven. Like a lot of these movies can be when you have two Titans, Mm -hmm. two or more, honestly, coming together. I mean, the Sex and the City ladies can't even get that together. So it's like... Right, right, right. So it's like when you have these two like titans of comedy, it is really great to see them kind of really share the screen together in a beautiful way. Um, So my first experience in this movie, I had heard a lot about it when it was coming out, of course, because, you know, especially in the 90s, I want to say, 80s and 90s, I mean... I can't speak as much as in the 80s because I wasn't born yet. But the 90s, when a black comedy was coming out, we were ready. Yes. We were so ready. Yes. Like, we were, yeah. like, waiting with bated breath. And when they came <laughs> out with this movie and they were saying that it was Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence, I was like, oh, this is so exciting. And I didn't see it in uh, theaters at the time because I was probably, like, nine years old when this movie came out. But... My dad got it on DVD. My dad is a very big comedy person. And so as part of our collection, we watched it so many times. And this is a rare comedy that my mom really liked. 
My mom, I think, likes comedy. She likes to laugh, but she does not like crude shit. She hates crude shit. And this really is not that at all. So it really passes uh, (laughs) the mama comedy threshold. Um, And I've also seen it a bunch on TV as it has played over the years. Um, So what was your first experience with this movie? When did you first see it? So, you know, I was like probably six or seven when this came out. Yes. And... (laughs) I I don't know for some reason like <laughs> like my I, my grandma raised me so she wouldn't let me watch like The Simpsons. My or, mom like, would Kingdom not let me watch The Simpsons. Something. Right, but she would <laughs> let me watch all of these movies, yes. and I'm like I shouldn't be watching this either. But like I guess because it was like a family thing. Word. You know, my brother plays so many movies, and we watched. You know, he had me watching everything. So. You know, I just wanted to be next to my brother and watch, you know, watch movies with him. He's like nine years older than me. Oh, word. And wow. So, yeah. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking I'm like seven or eight. And, you know, he's like 16, 17 with my cousins and everything. And they're like cracking up and everything. So I'm cracking up at everything that they crack up. At. Yeah. Um, but it's just a thing where, you know, there were so many like Martin Lawrence films like blue streak mm-hmm. and, and and this film and uh, you know i even you know even big mama's house but like all of these the seeing the two of them together i knew was rare exactly because you know? i'd already seen so many movies with the, the both of them exactly as individuals like so together it was like i already knew i'm like whoa this is crazy exactly exactly this was going to be intense and then also just remembering, like, this is a long, 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 long movie. Oh, yeah, it's like, long. Like, it covers their life. It covers, <laughs> yeah, it really goes there. It really goes yeah. there. Um, I, yeah, usually a comedy will clock in anywhere from, like, usually 70 to 90 minutes. This movie right. is almost two hours. It really yeah. gets up there. Yeah, because they're like, oh, we gonna show you some life. We gonna get in there to that life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We gonna yeah, get into really, this. That was, the, that was the directorial element of it. Yes, yes. Like, we will have them in there for life. Yes, yes. In the theaters. Yes. yes. So let's get into these <laughs> themes of jokes and jail time. So first of all, first of all, there is no discussion about the film Life without discussing the song by Casey and JoJo. Yes. Tell me, how did I get But let me tell you, though, something that was brought up in a previous episode is that that song is tainted because it was written by Robert Uh, Kelly. uh, Yes. And 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 most of the soundtrack Mm -hmm. had a producing credit. Yep. Robert. Robert. (laughs) Robert. Y'all quit playing. Quit playing. I didn't do this stuff. This is not me, y'all. I'm fighting for my life. Y'all killing me with this I gave y'all 30 years of my rap. <laughs> <laughs> Which, oh, talk, about, talk about a nigga who deserves life. 
come on. <laughs> you know, it is also really, it's a shame because. Yeah. You know, no, no, no. It's a shame. The contribution of like music. Yes. I'm thinking like, you know, I remember like sixth grade, every class was singing. I believe I can fly. Exactly. You know, like sixth grade exactly. graduation. Uh, you know, high school graduation. Uh, uh, you know. Exactly. It's, it's, exactly. And we're just going to keep bumping. And <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's crazy. Oh, it's really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting, too, that like this was a time and I do miss this in general, this time in our history where there were like soundtrack songs that were played on the radio, songs that were made by popular artists just for this movie that went along to this movie that were very popular on the radio. I mean, life was on the radio all the time. Like, you know, I think about, yes, exactly. This song. So it's so funny that this song is at the end of the movie. It (laughs) kind of, it it kind of makes no sense. (laughs) It has nothing to do. It plays when they're at the, they're at the baseball game. At the baseball game at the end. I think they're just like, Oh, they're in New York, you know, it's city high. (laughs) Like it's 1999. Let's, let's bring it all the way here. I guess was their thought behind that. Right, but it makes right, right. it makes no absolutely sense. Right. But we absolutely know all the words to the chorus yeah. off off the hand. So five, okay, uh, five, six, seven, eight. I totally messed that up, but you know what's really funny? People would do the, they would have that song, but only abbreviation. Yes. Throughout to see if anyone knew that. And it took me for the, I, like, I knew, I was like, what would you, what would you do? What would you do if you're, I'm like, oh, 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 okay. I know, <laughs> I know this. Yes. Oh, and I was also wondering, like, what are some of your favorites from that era in terms of, like, soundtrack songs? Because we haven't really had that recently. Like, the most recent example I can think of is a song like All the Stars from Black Panther. Um, In terms of black films, I mean, we could talk about, you know, uh, the people who did it probably the best most recently was Gaga. Yeah. For fucking Stars Born. Yeah. She really did that, like the way you're really supposed to do it. But uh, from back in the day, what are some of your faves? I mean, that's hard because I'm trying to think. Like, people who may, like, sound. Because, like, you know, I really appreciate, like, even if it's, like, new songs or new artists from that yeah. time, like, Love and Basketball has an yes. incredible. Ooh. Incredible. Incredible soundtrack. soundtrack. Yes. That just completely elevates every single moment in yeah. that film. Yeah. And it's very generational. Yes. Um, it's a cookout compilation. You know, yeah. It's so good. Um, I love the soundtrack to um, Baby Boy. Yes. Ooh. And, Ooh. and how it like 
they, how it plays into. I don't forget what's the song at the end when he's like, "What you know about that song, Young Blood?" Uh, <laughs> yes. Saying to Tyrese, and yes, like, that's like the little bonding moment. <laughs> exactly, uh, and that's like also what is it just ends up playing. So I'm like. Yeah, I just I can't wait to do that movie, Baby Boy, the the BET special. Yeah. Turn on BET at any given point in the day. Yeah. Very high chance the baby boy is on. Yeah. <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, and it's gonna be right at that scene when exactly. they're arguing with uh, Taraji and, and Tyrese arguing. Exactly. Uh oh, and I forgot too, when I was watching this movie, I totally forgot that Wyclef Jean did the score for this movie. And that's something yeah. that I think also used to happen a lot more. Musical artists coming in and doing the score for a film, I think was something that happened a lot more back in the day. Again, it's kind of like... I can't even think of someone who really did that recently. And I know there is someone, but I can't I can't think of who but it is. Know, I think it's like, you know, also like the Queen and Slim soundtrack was really... Oh, great really compilation. Beautiful. Yeah. But... You know, I think it's also the relationship that these the actors have with, you know, these songwriters. Like, you know, they were all a part of the same crew. Yeah. You know, I even think of, like, Dave Chappelle and his Black Party and the people he would call, you yes. know, the artists he called to. Those were, like, your friends. Yeah. So that's what's so beautiful. Like, you know, I'm not necessarily sure how that exists now. Like, yeah. like... You know, Ryan Coogler, I'm, I don't know if he, like, had that close relationship with Kendrick to call totally. him to, to do Totally. You know, or just because, you know, them being from the same place. Totally. You know, or from the, you know, that there's this respect and, totally. like, kind of admiration. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so real. I mean, the only musical artist who I can think of who's doing scores right now and a black person. We're gonna mention a white person for one second, y'all. His name is Johnny Greenwood. He's part of Radiohead and he does these scores for Phantom Thread and like There'll Be Blood and shit like that. So there's people every... And I guess the Nine Inch Nails dudes do it too. But I want some more black musical artists doing scores. Like, you know, what would... What would a... What would a score composed by Solange and her folks sound like for like some sort of like black sci-fi joint? Like, ooh, oh, ooh, whole, yeah, ooh, wholeheartedly. Ooh. Uh, you know what? Like, you know, even Black is King. I was yes. like, why was this not in the movie? Why was this yeah, right? Why movie? wasn't this the movie? <laughs> like, you didn't. Y'all didn't sing the songs that was supposed to be in the. You know, like right. So, like, why would you just not put that whole that whole album could have been the movie? So good. <laughs> Brown skin girl has been stuck in my head all week. Yes. It's so good. So, in yes. talking about the uh, themes of jokes and jail time, there is an inherent juxtaposition between those two things because we're talking about black male incarceration, which is a very serious issue uh, to this day, currently. Um, And I think, you know, making comedy out of a situation that isn't inherently funny is a very uh, beautiful thing to do in a very interesting way. And it is a very difficult thing to do successfully. Um, and for a movie to be like this funny too, I mean, we were just cracking up just saying jangling, jangling, jangling. Like, right. <laughs> that shit is so funny. Like 
Bernie Mac <laughs> is absolutely, as we were saying before, absolutely incredible in this movie and provides so much comedy from like a physical standpoint yeah. and from just like taking a character on a page and really asking himself like, okay, who is this dude? How do we make this a full character who doesn't say a whole lot, but it's a very full character. Full, very complex character. Mm-hmm. You know, when you mm-hmm. think about sexuality with that as Yeah, well, totally. I mean, it, he, and it, it like, it, it, every single line is quote. Every single right? line. Every single every line, single line. <laughs> is quotable. And, I mean, it's just such, he also had a moment in the film, which really stuck with me, that very dramatic scene mm-hmm. um, where he loses his, partner best friend yeah knows what that relationship what it is exactly exactly and that's a beautiful it's a beautiful dramatic moment and they you have all this levity but then you have this one moment where it's like whoa exactly and that's kind of like an interesting turning point in the film because for a comedy it does still maintain like a certain amount of seriousness in it I think, you know, after that happens and then after the situation with Bokeem Woodbine um, getting out on the baseball tip um, and, you know, Martin decides that he doesn't want to talk to Eddie Murphy's character anymore, there does kind of become a turn and it is quite dramatic for most of the rest of the movie um, as they get older. It's really interesting that, you know... I was watching and I was like, this is definitely a comedy. Like, it's so funny, but it does really dig in and really get into some real shit in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, I was thinking in terms of the, the comedy, there's a part in the beginning where, uh, Eddie Murphy says, cock-a-doodle-doo, nigga. (laughs) (laughs) And I want that on a shirt so bad. I just want that on a t-shirt. It's so much comedy gold, and I'm just like, okay, you can tell that this was not, like, this script is not written. They're just having fun. Exactly. They're having a good time. They're in the the car, and he's talking about... his daddy's wrist rock. His daddy's. Uh, he's a man of fuck that watch. He's like, you know, don't you say, like, don't you even say nothing about wrist watch. If I, if I get your, if your mouth even says what, I'm a, I'm a hit you one more time. <laughs> like, don't even, just don't even form your lips to say watch. And I'll just say little clock or some shit. Yes. Like, like, yeah. The bickering they did was so so good. Beautiful. So like beautiful. The, the relationship was so clear, and they don't know each other. And you just see that bond. Absolutely. Like that, that. Like that. You know, th- yes, yes. And instantly, mm-hmm. instantly, it's beautiful. So good. And speaking of the two of them, let's talk a little bit about Martin and Eddie and how they operate in this film. It is so interesting seeing Martin Lawrence pretty much operate as the straight man of the yeah. two <laughs> between them because we are so. We know Martin Lawrence for being absolutely silly. From, I mean, his right. show, Martin. Hey, girl. Not y'all. <laughs> I be cracking myself so up. I be cracking myself up. If Martin is ever on TV, if you're if any of us, we'll stop and see what episode it is. Check it out for a minute. See what he's up to. See what Tishna and Tisha are up right. to. Like, 
that show is such a staple. I mean, you just mentioned Blue Streak. Uh, there's Black Knight. There's Big Mama's House. He's such a yeah. silly bad boys. He's always the silly one. But to see him operate as the more straightforward of the two, really, you really get to see his range. And I'm like, damn, yes. like Martin Lawrence, you are underrated as an actor. You are such Truly. a good actor, you know. Truly. Because he carried, he had so many, oh, oh my gosh. The, uh, when he goes into town with the, uh, the sheriff, the warden, and they're picking up something, and it's his first time being yes. in the city. Yes. And he's old, mm-hmm. and he's seeing all these different hairstyles around him. And yeah. Listening to music, and the music that they're listening to, and he yeah. is completely like, overwhelmed yes yes i'm like that is the most beautiful scene he plays it so well and it's so well done in terms of like the filmmakers deciding to really slow it down and really use like some like echo in it and stuff like that and then that moment he's in this moment of overwhelm and then he sees the white cop who did this to them yes it's it's such a it's a it's a great moment of storytelling to like put that on top of that moment is right, like right. perfect. It's so perfect for like the rhythm of the script and perfect for you know exactly what he's going through at the at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, it really makes me think like because Eddie Murphy did get the opportunity to really show off a lot more dramatic chops. Um, especially after this movie, like he got to do Dream Girls, and Dream he got Girls. to do, uh, you know, though Dolomite is my name is for all intents and purposes a comedy. It is kind of like it's almost like a drama period piece about the making of a comedy, right? Um, and I really wonder, like, I would love to see, and you know, this is you know absolutely his choice if he wants to do it or not. But I would love to see Martin dig some more into some drama. I think, com- oh, yeah, yeah, certainly, absolutely, he certainly should. I mean, and especially you know these actors, they have so much experience being on the camera, exactly, you know, and just working with material and people. I'm sure it's. You know, all of these actors, Jamie Foxx, yes. you know, as a comedian. That's another one. Another one. Will Smith, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. known as, you know, comedic actor, but really pushed himself. So, you know, yeah. there's lots of them out there that can do that. Absolutely. And I always say that, like, there's a certain um, commitment that you get from comedic actors when they are approaching anything. And that includes drama. There, yeah. When you, you know are born and raised in the comedy world, you know, you are born and raised basically in, you know, being yourself and finding ways to be yourself through these characters and really committing 100% to all of these moments. So when you are presented with drama, there is still that 100% commitment that is involved. Uh, The last thing I saw Martin Lawrence in, because Martin Lawrence really dipped out for a minute. And so did Eddie. He did. But I think Eddie kind of dipped out for a couple reasons. I think Eddie dipped out um, because he didn't win the Oscar for Dreamgirls, which I get. I think that there was a lot of frustration behind that. And also there was, I think, some financial things going on with him. But the last thing I saw Martin Lawrence in was this movie called The Beach Bum. He's in one scene of The Beach Bum. And he's so... 
good. He is so yeah. fucking funny. Oh, oh my wait, god! Isn't that that movie with Snoop Dogg? Yes, yeah, Snoop Dogg is in it. It's Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> Snoop yeah, Dogg, yeah, okay. Isla Fisher, Zac it's Efron. Zac Efron. It's great. Yeah, it's a really good. I'll just check that out. It's on Hulu. It's a really good movie that's basically saying to you, like, look at this white man. Look at him get away with all these things. Isn't that fucked up? Yeah. But he's going to keep doing it because that's just the way the world is. And they will continue to let him do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But what were some of your favorite moments with them in this movie with Eddie and Martin that you can think of? Hands down, the pie. Uh, yes. When Martin runs to get pie, Claude runs to get pie from the windowsill and burns his mouth. And then he has to, the warden's like, you have to stand on these bottles. Yes. And they haven't spoken in years. Yes. And, uh, you know, he tells Eddie, you know, if, if uh, Martin falls off the bottle, you shoot him. Yeah. Uh, kill him and he'll let him free. And, um, but the... <laughs> When he when he makes them both, Warden makes them both. When uh, uh, Eddie's character refuses to shoot Claude and says, "I might go around and shoot you with this gun. You don't want to give me this gun." Yes, he's like, "That was the wrong answer." And they both have to stand on these uh, bottles. Yes, and the warden asks Eddie, uh, "Is it comfortable?" And he's like, "Like a pair of nylon slippers." <laughs> <laughs> he's like. Can I? <laughs> And they have this, you know, <laughs> you know, you, you think that Martin's character is going to be so like touched, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Shoot him. He was like, I would have put that bullet in your ass and been halfway up to halfway up to New York by now. Yes. And they just have you see them. I mean, it's so beautiful. They haven't talked for so long. You can feel that tension. You yes. Can, you want them to be close again. Exactly. And and this one moment, it's really funny, really heartfelt. And they are bonding with each other, standing on a on a six pack of Coke bottles. Yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, a fun fact that I found out after seeing this film again is that when Martin's toe slips into one of the bottles, the bottles that was not a planned moment. Then they just like went with it, and Eddie was just like dying, dying. And I that's again that. the beauty of being so good on camera being so comfortable on camera that when something like that happens, you roll with it and it becomes magic. And that becomes like, and it's like, oh, there's the button to the scene. All of a sudden, there it is. Like, you just made magic by being in the moment and just being relaxed and committed to knowing what you're doing, committed to the present. Just like we were talking about trying to be in the moment of our own lives. Like, that's how... Mm you get to that place of being as good and as masterful as these dudes. And that includes, like, literally this entire cast. Yes. <laughs> they are so, so good. They're so, and there's such ensemble work that's being done on this. Absolutely. And that is, you know, even seeing Martin on his show, you know, like, anytime you have a bit, it did revolve around Martin, right? Everyone had to, like, wait to see what the bit, where the bit was going to go and how long it was going to last. Exactly. Right? But... This movie, you really see a lot of playing and sharing and friendship. Yeah. In this movie that is really, really beautiful to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of the ensemble work, 
Let's talk a little bit about the queer representation in this movie. Yes. Because uh, when I was moderating the panel for Newfest, I moderated a panel called Centering Black Queer and Trans Voices in Film. And Sheldon was part of that panel. And one of the questions I asked everybody was, you know, when was one of the first times that they saw themselves truly represented as a queer person on film? And Sheldon mentioned life. And I, my mind was blown because I completely forgot about Biscuit. And Biscuit was honestly such a big part of my queer childhood as well. You know, one of the first queer characters I saw in a film. And I love in this movie, they don't make fun of the queer characters. They never call them faggot. They love these queer characters. You know, the point that you're talking about when... You know, Biscuit goes uh, goes past the gun line and gets himself shot. Yeah. The fact that everyone treats that moment with such reverence and respect, respect for Eddie, uh, for Bernie Mac's space, respect for, you know, what Biscuit was going through, and respect for these people as human beings in this movie, I think is very rare for you to see in a black 90s comedy. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I mean, it's it, it is... That character, you know, I mean, even just the Boom Boom Room, right? Mm-hmm. That that for me was such a beautiful moment because I remember the I got a man that's small, the eight yes. foot tall, four foot shoulders, and that ain't you know. Yes. And when Gail Nunes turns around and it's he's in drag, mm-hmm. and I'm like, whoa, whoa, yeah. what is happening? And everyone in that. Club is okay with it. Yes. But everyone that is in this room dreaming of this place. Yeah. Is all okay with that being a dream. Exactly. And all okay with supporting that dream. Exactly. That's how you exist in this world. Exactly. And if we're all at our like highest excellence, you're the top chef. I'm the, you know, you're you're a musician. (laughs) Yes. And you are the main, you you are the main attraction. You're the main attraction. I love that. That is so beautiful That's and so beautiful. biscuit is the first character that you see in the boom boom room fantasy you know when he turns yeah. around it's so good and it's like very much surprised me even when jangaleg hits on martin in the beginning martin <laughs> is just like very surprised and just says you know i'm not interested he doesn't go like faggot like get off me like this right. is disgusting right. and everyone around and everyone else in the ensemble kind of laughs knowingly, like, La- oh, right. that's that's just jangle leg. It's not like, right. you know, laughing at, oh, you got got, motherfucker. You know, it's like, right. They're, right. they're so well respected. And that really hit me um, watching it this time around. And, you know, though we don't like to see queer characters die in films, you know, that is a very big trope. I think there's like a trope called like murder your gaze. But what I like about how it's done in this movie is that it's making a statement on, you know, you see how Biscuit is, can be himself in this environment. He can't mm-hmm. be himself outside of this environment right. in this time period. And that still rings true today for a lot of people. Like, I think the fact that what he did and how he's represented comes from a place of truth and realness about society makes it feel like 
earned in a way, if that makes sense, you know? I, I, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, even when he says earlier, I don't forget what the context was, but I know he was like, uh, you scared, don't be scared, you know? Yeah. Like, he, tell, <laughs> he tells uh, Martin that. Yeah. And it's there is a real fear of just, like, he's accepting, A, who he is, mm-hmm. and knowing that we're not talking about today you know we're talking about like i don't even that 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 could have been maybe 70s 60s 70s or something like that when you're being released and going out into the world yeah as gay yeah yeah and and with a record Mm -hmm. and black yeah exactly exactly and not in the way that is passable either right Mm -hmm. like Mm-mm. doesn't doesn't know how to and doesn't want to exactly do that. like of saying that i don't want to live a life where i'm going to be completely unhappy or i have to let go of the person that i am yeah and making that decision to say like i i had what i wanted right you know, or that i i'm making this decision for myself that if i'm going to go out i want to go out who I am. Exactly. I am. Exactly. I'm going to continue to stay true to myself or that's right. it. And I, and right. there is, right. and I like that that shows agency within this gay character, which is also something that you don't see in a lot of black films in the nineties at all. Like really at all. And I mean, like, I'm really trying to think in general, in terms of, you know, queer representation from, movies that are not specifically queer that are mm-hmm. also black films very few and far between really get it as well as this movie honestly i i honestly i mean there's that moment you know right before you know he runs over the gun line and you know he's looking at you see bernie like talking to some other women who are visiting mm-hmm. the uh the grounds and you know uh Eddie asked him if he's jealous and he's like, oh, I don't care about that, you know? Right. But it's just the idea of being like, that may, like that question of like, who knows what, you know, what Bernie's sexuality is, Jango Jack's sexuality right. is. Right, right. Or what their relationship is or what that arrangement is or totally. anything. But it doesn't matter. It's Miguel being like, I am talking. This is about me in my moment right, right now. Right, exactly. How I'm feeling exactly. about, you know, and that's exactly. something that's, I think is so beautiful. Uh, it's so good. It's so good. And it's so interesting that it did not hit me in the same way then. I think because I probably wasn't at the same terms that I was with my sexuality mm. at that time. Same. But this time around, I was like, this is absolutely incredible. So thank you for mentioning it in the panel because I completely forgot about this whole aspect of the movie, though it was something that definitely, you know, caught my eye when I was younger, being like, oh, a gay black character who is not um, masculine, you know? Yes. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, this kind of unity that these guys have, because there is this great moment of unity, you know, when 
um, Biscuit passes the gun line and everything. Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of coming around as a moment of respect and reverence toward him. Um, the aspect of unity in this movie is something that also really hit me this time around. I think because of, you know, what we're going through as Black people right now mm-hmm. and pretty much always consistently. But, um, you know, this aspect of the the juxtaposition between Eddie Murphy, you know, really having dreams of having everyone in the boom boom room and kind of mm-hmm. this group kind of working together versus Martin's more selfish uh, point of view in the beginning, trying to like get himself out and just like, uh, well, I'm going to get a lawyer. I'm going to get out, play this by the book and like, you know, fuck you. I didn't even know you kind of right. thing and kind of how it really does depend on them coming together to really get the fuck out of there. And it also makes me think of um, the I'm the daddy moment with, uh, (laughs) (laughs) because Bukim Woodbine ends up uh, impregnating the the warden's daughter. Daughter, yeah. Um, And when the baby comes out black, they're like, well, it must have been one of y'all niggas. So who was it? (laughs) And in order to protect Bukim, everybody, you know, gets... Uh, everyone steps out of the line and says, I'm the daddy. I'm the daddy. I'm the daddy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not younger about that. I'm the pathetic. Yeah, I'm the pathetic. <laughs> Bernie. With, with Bernie's, I'm uh, the pathetic. I'm the just... <laughs> So I'm, I'm wondering from you, because this is such a beautiful representation of black male unity. I'm wondering, how do you feel about, you know, where we are right now in a space of black male unity in this country, you know, with each other, with what's going on kind of like eternally in this fucking country. Like, how do you feel about where we are now as, you know, black men as a group amongst each other? You know, I think there is, you know, what was really beautiful to see about life is that you really see the generational yes. kind of connections with yes. black men and and you know, even in the opening segment is like an old man talking to young black men, right? True, true, and, yeah. Um how they witness other young black men who come into the picture and how, you know, they try to be a mentor, whether it is for their own personal gain or if it's because they do really want to watch out for the younger generations that are more vulnerable. Totally. Um, But there, I feel like there, I mean, I can only think about my relationship, my personal relationship that I have with like my family and my brother. Yeah. um, And how I was really, you know, everyone says like, okay, you know, the, the the stereotype is that black men and black people are not okay with, you know, with homosexuality mm-hmm. and how that is something that is just blanketed all over. Yes, like, the whole, whole of all black people. Yeah, that's so true. Right. And not, not like in general, like a lot of people have issues Yes, <laughs> yes. And it's way more complex than... Yes you know, than what people make it. Mm-hmm. And just saying that there, there is, there is a, a, a welcoming and, and a, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about watching that show, um, The Shop. Yes, um, HBO, yes. Uh-huh. Right? And you have all these different black men from different professions all in this room. And 
just to be like, wow, I did not know that LeBron James was a mentor to Drake. Mm. You know, like, you know, I did not realize, you know, that he's pulling him aside and he's having this conversation with him, you know? I'm not realizing that, you know, like there is so much communication across industries of people being like, what can we do? You know, I'm thinking about Busta Rhymes and his latest album that he just dropped out, but it's like, literally, he has his contemporaries, you know, Snoop Dogg and, you know, everyone around him telling him, like, you need to release something for future generations to be able to listen to Mm. and find strength and power and we need to lead them. Mm. And I'm seeing a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of consciousness of people who initially may have just been trying to to make it, you know, trying to get into the game, trying to be safe, you know, trying to to achieve this status. But now we're starting to see people really reflect on what that means. Totally. And is it enough? Totally. You know? Absolutely. That's what I'm 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 witnessing. I see a lot of uh, I mean, of course, like we can always do more. Right. But it's really beautiful to see a time where you have a lot of black men wanting to show leadership mm-hmm. and guidance, mm-hmm. you know, acceptance, you know. Absolutely. And love, you know, I'm seeing like Black men hug on each other. Yes. Love on yes, each other. And really you show know, actual like, real love. Like, real love. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I just saw like a, like a, I think it was like just a, a collage of all these celebrities, black celebrities who are like hugging each other and, and like stroking each other and like, like That's you know, beautiful. having their arm around each other and it being like, this is my, this is my friend. This is, yes. my, this is my brother. brother. This yeah. is my family. This is my, I love this man. Yeah. Um, I love that. uh, Yeah, I love that. That's something that... More of that. Exactly, more (laughs) of that. And that's something that you honestly didn't really see for a while. I mean, even when we were growing up, you didn't really see that. And to see a movie like this where there are these two men who do clearly love and need each other and find each other at this random point in their life and they... It is so true that in order to get out of this situation that they always really needed each other. And when they do get out yeah. together, it is such a beautiful thing. And the simplicity of them at the uh, baseball game together, the Yankees yeah. game together, while City High is playing randomly right. <laughs> is right. great. It's so good. It's so, yeah. so good. So in conclusion... As I said before, I love films like this. You know, whenever you can approach something that isn't inherently funny and successfully make comedy out of it, it is admirable. I think that um, Sheldon and Matt did that very, very well in terms of their film, Cicada. The film is a lot about trauma, but it does have a lot of comedic moments in it that is necessary in terms of that's how life is, speaking of life. And that is how, how that's how you heal and that's balance and that's beautiful. And, um, you know, through the struggle, if we can find those moments of comedy, that's where the beauty is. I think sometimes my some of my work is the opposite. It's very funny. And then it gets very sad because I think that there is just like tragedy within comedy. (laughs) But I mean, though this movie is not, you know, the only reason I think this movie isn't perfect is because I think it could be like a limited series. I could watch these dudes for hours because I think, you know, at a certain point, 
the second half does feel rushed because they do have to like accelerate through time. They do have to wrap the right. story up. But I could watch a limited series about these guys, how they navigate through their environment, the system, and their relationships yeah. with the men around them and with each other. Yes. I think they hit on a lot of the connections between slavery and incarceration in this movie really well that I'm sure, yes. given more time, they could have dug more deep into. Um, but they do a very good job. The second you get into the jail, you're just like, Oh, what does this resemble? Slavery. And what does right. it continue to resemble yeah. throughout time? Slavery. So yeah. they do a very I mean, good they, job they, of that. Yes. They don't they don't mince words about it. Honestly. They nail it. They nail it. I mean, they have they essentially have like the overseer in there and they have the house negro, the guy with the mm-hmm. gun. Oh my god. Oh, I mean, even at the end, yes. you're older and it's yes. like you're working inside while I'm out here trimming mm-hmm. these hedges. Mm-hmm. It's like y'all are and still the help. Does, this has adjusted, like you aren't slaves anymore, but you're still the help. You're still, and that is also how yes. it adjusted in society with black people as well. It's like, it's right. very real. It's so good. Uh, the cast in this movie is absolutely phenomenal. As we were saying, this ensemble is great. And I would consider this to be a black comedy classic. Yes, You know, certainly. before we started recording, we were talking about how this has like, very um, so-so reviews in terms of, but I mean, that's the whole thing about critics. There's a lot of white male critics talking about something that they have no business talking about that they don't know about. So check out this movie. I definitely recommend it. And so does Sheldon, of course. And this film is now streaming on HBO and HBO Max. So check it out. Yes, check it out. Yes. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Quotable, quotable for life. You will quote everything for that movie. Literally quotable for life. (laughs) Oh my life, I hate to fight. So the time has come for the You Better Act Award, which, if it is your first time at Adventures in Black Cinema, is an award that I give out every single week to a performance that I see that I think is just absolutely stellar and killer, and I want to give it the praise that it deserves. Uh, so this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please, Moses Ingram in The Queen's Gambit. Now, this is a limited series on Netflix about a woman named Beth Harmon who becomes a young chess prodigy while dealing with the fame that results of this, as well as addiction, and as well as um, her past. Um, Moses plays a character named Jolene, who is a fellow orphan at an orphanage where Beth resides. And I will say about the Queen's Gambit real quick, you will now see, since it's been out for a few weeks, you will see some hate because when it came out, everyone was so enthusiastic about it. You know, after the first couple weeks, now come the haters. (laughs) I will just say that this series, it's not perfect. And the character of Jolene specifically does feel tropey sometimes. But it's very well done to make the subject of playing chess interesting to me. And I don't give a fuck about chess. They're good storytellers. Plain and simple. Like, I don't give a fuck. You can hate on it all you want. But uh, this is one thing I agree with the critics on. Uh, But back to Jolene. Uh, Jolene is a character who is a fellow orphan at the orphanage where Beth resides. Uh, Jolene is a character who, like I said, totally gets tropey sometimes. um, Especially near the end of the series. 
But I think Moses plays her so well with such a natural comedic sense and wit and gives the character way more depth than what is present on the page. This is kind of like what we were talking Mm -hmm. about with Bernie Mac. I mean, Bernie Mac steals so many scenes by just being so specific. And so does Moses playing this character. I don't know if this character was meant to be as prolific and as uh, memorable as she was, but she kills it. And, you know, near the end of the series, she does unfortunately fall into the magical Negro trope a little bit in terms of kind Mm. of saving this white character in a way But the assertion that she isn't present to save Beth is something that she actually says. It helps a little bit, though she does end up actually kind of saving her. Um, It makes it feel a little less shitty. Uh, And also the fact that, you know, this character does help Beth achieve her goals, but not at the sacrifice of her own goals. Jolene still has her own goals, and she also still achieves those. And... Like I've said multiple times on the show, she is a Yale School of Drama graduate. And like I've said multiple times, these black Yale School of Drama grads be acting. And she just graduated last year. So that's insane to me. And I'm excited to see what she does next. Um, She is playing Lady Macduff in the upcoming adaptation of Macbeth that is directed and adapted by Joel Cohen for A24, starring Denzel Washington as Macbeth and uh, Frances McDormand as Lady Macbeth. So I'm very excited to see her in that. So excited for that. So excited for that. And I want to see her constantly in things, you know, and many things after this now, after this scene-stealing role in this very popular series. So The Queen's Gambit is now streaming on Netflix. Check that shit. It out. So, in closing for the show, some food for thought. Has there ever been a tough situation that you've either been in or observed that you were able to glean comedy from? Uh, is there anything for you at all, Sheldon? Um, you know, I am just grateful for an acting teacher who taught me all my life that there is a thin line between laughter and crying. Yes. And you know, not only in any work that you do as an actor, you know, you want to cry sometimes. It's like, it would be just something so beautiful. What would happen if you start laughing, right? Right. And um, I remember I was in a, uh, I was in the hospital and was dealing with, you know, I had some person come in and told me that basically my insurance was like deactivated or something. Wow. And I was like, I literally burst out laughing right there on there. Because I was like, are you kidding me? Like, what, God? Jesus, why? What is happening? uh, What did I do? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. uh, What was so funny, I'm calling the person, the insurance uh, person, this, this black woman. I knew she was black right away. She answers the phone. And I tell her this, and she said, dang. That is messed up. We gonna pray. <laughs> yes! Oh, that's amazing. That's beautiful. And she, that's so beautiful. Yeah, she prayed and prayed and prayed over me uh, through the phone, but prayed over me. That's amazing. And um, yeah, we sorted out that whole situation, but it I was just that. one of those moments like I could have just spiraled. Yeah. But it was like this. It's honestly like a, those almost like a humbling moment absolutely absolutely i absolutely get that oh that's amazing well i'm excited to hear 
your responses, audience. You know, hit us up per usual on SFB Society. Comment on our Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Thank you to the team per usual, our audio engineer, Matt Mozzarella, our producer's assistant, Trinika, our executive producer, Miss Amanda Seals. And thank you, Sheldon, so much for being a guest today on the show. It was so lovely to talk to you. So well, great to so touch base. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, so much fun talking about this movie. And next week on the show, we will be getting into the nitty-gritty of Jordan Peele's debut feature film, Get Out. Just in time, just in time for the holidays. So, <laughs> as usual, stay safe, stay black, stay blessed, and I'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Great.